Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias, and, well, it's not quite another episode of The Weeds. Instead, uh, we're taking the holiday off, and we've got for you a special episode of The Impact, starring The Weeds' own Sarah Cliff. She's taking a look at some really innovative things that they've done in Vermont, where they face some real challenges with financing the school system in this small town known as Whiting. We don't get to delve into this level of detail often on The Weeds. And then we will be back and see you with a regular episode on Tuesday. Whiting, Vermont has a post office, a community church, a few white slat houses surrounded by wide, wide fields, and dramatic black mountains rising up in the distance. Carol Brigham has lived here her whole life. She's on the short side with gray hair cut into an efficient bob. There's something about an old Vermonter is that if you force me to do something, I always not like it. She does not have much time for stupid questions or much love for journalists. You know, media is not always the greatest thing because they just stir the pot almost on purpose. Her attitude grows out of her own experience. She has had a lot of media attention over the years because of her school, Whiting School. It's small, like the town. Two classrooms and a basement room, plus an office. And Carol's tone completely shifts when she talks about it. All the windows face the east, and you see the green mountains. And so it's beautiful there in the morning. The sun comes in. We'd have to pull the shades because the sun would be right in your eyes. Carol's dad was on the school board when she went there as a kid. Her daughter Amanda went to this school, too. This place is full of memories. One would be Amanda's sixth-grade graduation because she looks so mature. Sixth-grade graduations. They're kind of a big deal at Whiting Elementary. Students stand up and recite poems or give a little speech about their favorite moments at the school. And for someone who couldn't speak out loud, she would take an F um, over speaking in the classroom. She was that shy. But she, she did the graduation very, very well. Decades earlier, Carol also had a sixth grade graduation. It's just one of the many Whiting School traditions, like pancake breakfasts and fall potlucks. In a tiny town, the school is one of the few places where everyone gets together. It creates community. Which all sounds idyllic. But back in the 1990s, there was a serious problem brewing. Carol had just joined the Whiting School Board. Also, if, if his name has not come up yet, Bill Mathis was our superintendent. William J. Mathis is my name. I was a superintendent of schools here. These days, he's the vice chair of the Vermont State Board of Education. But he has known Carol since she was 14 years old. So he's a big, uh, big yeah. influence in my life, for sure. 
Carol and Bill were on the board together, and every year they had to convince the town of Whiting to help pay for the school. That meant gathering together for a town meeting and going over the school budget. That would have everything in it in terms of do we want to spend $6,000 on a new roof? You know, and repairs, you just patch and patch and patch and still, oh, no, we really, really, really do need a new roof. What do we need a new roof for? We just bought one 20 years ago. It it was nickel-diamond every single thing. Whiting School needed these things, a new roof, a new floor. The tiling was asbestos at the time, but they weren't even pulling it out. We were just putting carpet over the tile. But that carpet only lasts about four to five years without that starting to rip up, so you'd have to replace another carpet. They also needed staff. The school only had two full-time teachers and a part-time principal. But passing budgets was really, really hard. Not because people in Whiting didn't care about the school. They did. Even though Whiting is only 400 people-ish, you know, it still was yours. But we can't afford more than what we can afford. They just didn't have the money. It's not a uh, rich town. I mean, there was, oh, I hate the word rich, so we won't use that. It was a farming community. Now, if we stand out in the driveway right here, we can look over and see Killington Mountain. And Killington has a little more wealth than Whiting does. Remember the mountains that Whiting kids see out their classroom window? They are fantastic for skiing. And skiing means money. Money means property wealth. Property wealth that Whiting does not have. But the ski town of Killington definitely does. We're spending as much money as we possibly can afford and not doing as good as our neighbors. It it is terribly inequitable. So Bill and Carol decided to make things more equitable. And they quickly found that meant making enemies. This is The Impact, a show on the Vox Media Podcast Network about all the ways that policy affects people's lives. Today, we are in lovely Vermont, the land of maple syrup, beautiful foliage, and community. Vermont really is about community. It's one big community. Another term would be community. The community really comes together, and it's really the people that uh, take care of each other. We will look at how Carol and Bill completely changed the way the entire state pays for education, how they forced Vermonters to rethink who belongs in a community, and how they created a policy experiment that put equality front and center in Vermont school funding. Back in the 90s, Vermont funded its school like most other states funded their schools. Property wealth played a really big role. To understand what that means and why it wasn't really equitable, picture this scene from the classic 90s sitcom, Friends. (laughs) The friends are settling down at a restaurant to celebrate Monica's recent promotion. Phoebe and Rachel are flipping through the menu. Wow, look at these prices. Yeah, these are pretty (laughs) cha-ching. Avid Friends watchers might remember that Rachel and Phoebe are not rich. They're kind of like the Whitings out there. Farming communities that don't have expensive properties, so they don't have much tax money to spend. The education menu prices look really steep to them. But Rachel and Phoebe's friends, Monica and Ross, are like the rich ski towns. When the waiter comes to them... Yes, I'll start with the carpaccio and then I'll have the grilled prawns. 
Monica and Ross order these big, full meals. If they were schools, they'd be ordering a new roof, maybe some high-speed Wi-Fi for dessert. Rachel and Phoebe... Okay, I will have the uh, side salad. And what would that be on the side of? I don't know. Why don't you just put it right here next to my water? That's the equivalent of buying carpet to cover up asbestos tiles. The two poor friends suffer through their tiny meals, and then the bill comes. Okay, everyone owes $33.50 apiece. No, uh uh-uh, no way. (laughs) Okay, Phoebes, how about we'll each each just pay for what we had, okay? It's, It's no big deal. Not for you. In the Friends universe, this is a solution. Everyone pays for what they ate. That's fair. But if the friends went out for dinner every single night, then Phoebe and Rachel would get hungrier and hungrier because they'd be eating appetizers every day for the rest of their lives. The way that most states pay for education is just like this. Rich towns raise money for schools easily. They can even buy extras. Yes, I'll start with the carpaccio and then I'll have the grilled prawns. Towns that don't have expensive houses to tax, they're like Phoebe and Rachel. They have to skimp and save to afford even a side salad on the education menu. That's why schools in poorer towns all across Vermont were really struggling back in the 90s. There were guidance counselors working in bathrooms. Schools had classrooms with leaky floors and mold issues. Some had poor heating that couldn't get them through the cold Vermont winters. Meanwhile, some property-rich towns were rolling out laptops for their students. They were offering Chinese classes in the first grade. The grilled prawns. Bill Mathis was aware of this. He was bothered by it. And he wasn't the only one. Back at that point in time, there were a few of us who were very much committed towards equity and equality and having a fair shake for places like Whiting. Bill started meeting up with other people frustrated with this exact problem, including this attorney named Bob Ginsburg. Bob has since passed away, but back in the 90s, he was rooting around in Vermont's laws looking for a solution. And he noticed something really important about the Vermont Constitution. It says the state has to provide an education, and that education has to be equal. Things did not look equal at all. So Bob, along with Bill and the ACLU and some others, they decided to sue the state of Vermont. He was saying, where can I go find a plaintiff who is being screwed by this system? So Bill took him to Whiting, where he met Carol. He was presenting at, at oh, probably the library in Otter Valley. and um, We were just telling them the facts with charts and arrows and graphs and saying... We were the ideal town that paid a very large amount of taxes to put out a very minimal amount of money and was going broke doing it. Bill and Bob were telling them, Whiting's taxes are making a bigger dent in Whiting wallets than Killington's taxes are. But Whiting still is left with less money to spend on schools. That's not fair. Bob wanted to argue that it wasn't fair in front of the courts. To say, we should have a more fair way of funding schools all across Vermont. But he couldn't bring the case without a plaintiff who had been harmed by all of this. He needed a student. And uh, they wanted a young student who would still be in school by the time the suit was done, (laughs) thinking it was going to be years and years and years and years. That's where Carol came in. 
with her six-year-old daughter. Amanda's name was the top because of alphabetical order. And I said, Carol, do you want to be the plaintiff in this case? And to my surprise, she said, yeah. Why your surprise? Well, you pay a price when you do something like this. People are not shy at town meetings. They will call people names and tell you what they really think of you and can get real ugly. Carol didn't know how ugly things would get. That day in the local library, she just wanted to take a stand for school equality. She agreed to be part of the lawsuit. I, I was very rude to my husband because I didn't even ask him. <laughs> Got home and I said, we're going to sign up for this lawsuit. What? There were a couple of hearings. Carol went to one with Amanda. We rode over with Bill Mathis, but that day, yeah, it was tough because she did not want to go. Amanda was in third grade at that point and still really, really shy. She did not like being the center of attention. Those are the days that my husband said, you don't really need to take her, you know, she can stay home. And I really did. I said, this is to help every kid in Vermont. And so, so she went. The case actually made its way through the courts in two short years. The final ruling came out on February 5th, 1997. And the court sided with the Brighams. The decision basically said, look, right now, some communities are doing great. Others are doing terribly. The schools are not equal. Therefore, the way Vermont funds schools is unconstitutional. But the court did not say, okay, here's how to make things equal. It just said, fix it. Fast. And then it got down to, okay, now that we've won this thing, what do we do now? We've caught the cat. (laughs) end, it was the Vermont legislature that had to figure out, how do we make things equal? What they created was a really different way of splitting the bill at the education restaurant. They did it by passing two laws, Act 60 and Act 68. Let's go back to our friend's example. We saw that everyone paying for exactly what they ate doesn't work. Phoebe and Rachel and Whiting can barely afford side salads. Ross and Monica and Killington can get fancy grilled prawns without even making a dent in their bank accounts. It's just not fair. But what if everyone ordered full meals? Still according to taste, but reasonably priced. Monica maybe gets spaghetti, and Rachel gets like a chicken dish. That sounds great. Same for me. Everyone eats enough. They have a super nice dinner. And then at the end of the meal... They don't split the bill evenly. Instead, if Ross has more money than Rachel, he pays part of her bill. Basically, this is what Vermont did. And as a way to fund schools, it was unusual. That's totally different. That's nobody. Nobody does that. Zahava Stadler does research at a nonprofit called EdBuild. A few years ago, they were going through all these spreadsheets and papers to build a database of how schools get funded in America. They were going state by state and seeing basically the same local property tax model over and over. It's amazing that we take for granted that how high income your area is will have something to do with how good your school is. There's no law of nature that says that if you look around and see nice houses, that probably means a better school. But then 
they got to Vermont. And that connection between nice houses and nice schools, it wasn't there. They were seeing something totally different, a way to fund schools that surprised them. That's kind of magic. Here is how the magic happens. Your school district approves a budget, and it says, here's how much we plan to spend per student this year. A town like Whiting or Killington goes to the menu, picks out an education option. They still get to spend money on whatever they want. Maybe this year they want to order science equipment with a side of new textbooks. The state says, great, that's totally up to you. That's a local decision. Everybody gets their educational fill. And at the end of the meal, there is one big bill for all Vermont school districts. And all those districts pay into a pool. But the costs are not split evenly. If you're richer, the system actually asks you to pay a higher rate than you otherwise would. And if you're a poorer community, then the system asks you to pay a lower rate than you otherwise would. If Killington and Whiting order the same meal, Killington puts a little more money into the pool, Whiting puts in a little less, but the same meal, it makes the same proportional dent in everyone's wallet. And in case you're wondering, if you order the educational equivalent of like filet mignon, you want a planetarium or whatever, you have to pay an extra fine. Just to keep everyone from going a little too wild. All of this was brand new to Vermont. It was pretty new to the United States. Vermonters actually came up with new terms to describe the two types of towns the system created. There were rich sending towns that sent money out into the state and less affluent receiving towns that got some extra money. The whole complicated system only works if you think of all these districts sitting down together as friends. One big community, the state of Vermont, splitting a bill in a way that leaves everyone full and happy. But when this law passed in 1997, things started to get a little tense at Vermont's big dinner table. The richer school districts mostly saw their taxes going up a lot, and then they saw that money leaving their community. It was bitter. It was mean. I had my tires punctured. It was very violent. The intensity of it was uh, just huge. Carol's husband and his family came from one of those richer towns. Carol's family are part of her distant relatives have never forgiven her. <laughs> yeah, so that was rough. There was also a lot of name-calling. Rich towns started calling the poorer towns shark towns. We talked to one Vermont journalist, David Goodman, at the time, he was living in one of those so-called shark towns, but it was right near a rich town, a ski community called Stowe. Which was a so-called gold town or sending town. And there was this one day he was driving his daughter to Stowe for skating lessons. And stretched across the road was a sign saying, keep us out of the shark pool. And my daughter asked, who are the sharks? And I had to tell her, well... That would be us. The hostility got so bad that Carol wouldn't even tell people who she was. Because her name, it was right there on the lawsuit. Brigham versus Vermont. I just wouldn't even wear the name. If I went anywhere, no name tag was on me. It was really hard to get Carol to talk to us. She is protective of herself and her family and doesn't really trust people to tell her story correctly. 
even though this all happened two decades ago, it still feels pretty raw. Vermont emphasizes community a lot. We heard this word again and again in our interviews. But we got the sense that the community that really matters to people is the smaller, more local community, not the state as a whole. Which might explain why Carol got so much pushback, even in her own small town. Taxes went down in Whiting because of the new law. But some people weren't happy about this fix coming from the state government. They don't like things from Montpelier, the state capital, doing mandates and things of that sort. While the case was happening, some people tried to convince Carol to stop. Some people tried to take her off the school board. It was stressful. Yes. But through all of it, she remained steadfast. I refuse to quit, so I will. I can outlast people. You know, I guess that's how I was brought up. You make a decision, you stick with it, you, you did it for a good reason, and you're going to follow through and finish, finish the job. Carol and Bill's work paid off. Whiting School got a roof. They got new tiles. They hired back a teacher full-time. You know, kind of came back to normal with a little, like, whew, can breathe now. We can continue. There were more fall potlucks. There were more pancake breakfasts. Amanda had her sixth grade graduation. But this moment of rest where everyone could catch their breath, it turns out it was only temporary. After the break, a challenge no one saw coming. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Support for the weeds comes from Burrow. Okay, are you ready for the understatement of the century? Buying furniture can be frustrating. You end up visiting a bunch of stores searching aimlessly for the right pieces to match your home, then spend hours trying to get those pieces together or together again if you got it wrong the first time. And that's even if you were able to get it through the door. Burrow is a furniture company that wants to make the whole thing easier. Burrow's new Dune line features a contemporary yet timeless look inspired by the craftsmanship of classic mid-century construction. If you're looking to bring a sense of luxury, comfort, and durability to your outdoor spaces, you might want to consider Burrow. Like all of Burrow's pieces, they offer easy assembly and disassembly so you can move or store them away as needed. Not only that, they ship straight to your door for free. Listeners of The Weeds can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash weeds. That's Burrow. B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash weeds for 15% off. Burrow dot com slash weeds. 
it's been interesting coming to see this school, but to know that there's sort of another period of transition happening. And I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. Oh, my. <laughs> um, I worry about it. I worry about it a great deal. Welcome back to The Impact. Before the break, we told you the story of Vermont's experiment to equalize education funding. It wasn't easy, but it helped communities like Whiting save their schools. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Jane Lindholm. In January, as the legislature started the second half of the biennium, looking at how to change the way education is funded in Vermont. This method of funding public schools has lasted 20 years, so it's due for an overhaul. Vermont might change things up all over again. To address Vermont's shrinking student population. Vermont's population is aging, and that means fewer kids in school. In the 90s, there were about 100,000 students in Vermont. Now, the state is down to about 85,000. This is a problem because schools have a lot of fixed costs. Things like the building and its water and its electricity and the heat. If you have fewer students, those costs don't go down. You're just spending more on each student. So the cost per student is just going up and up. And so are taxes. Vermont's magic funding formula worked well, but it was not designed for shrinking schools. It's starting to show cracks. So in comes a new plan. In 2015, the state legislature passed Act 46, a law that deals with school district consolidation. Consolidation. It means taking little school districts, bringing them together so they can pool their resources and their students. Its advocates question whether tiny schools are offering an equitable education. And they say, by merging with nearby districts, everyone might benefit. This is a new kind of equality for Vermont schools. It does not guarantee that you have a well-funded school in your town. Vermont's new definition of equality? It means your student has a well-funded seat somewhere. Maybe in your town, but maybe in a town nearby. Though in Vermont, nearby might mean over a mountain or across a river, a tricky trip to make every day, especially in the winter. Whiting School, Suzanne speaking. This is Suzanne, the school administrator at Whiting School. My producers, Bird and Jillian, went to visit last spring, and she showed them around. There were these little hand-knit mittens strung up by your desk, donated by someone in town, and the walls in the hallway were covered with drawings and cutouts and colorful posters. How long have you been an administrator here? I've been here for 28 years. My kids were here and grown up. have grandchildren now here. I live here in town as well, and it's to me it's very, very sad to see the school um, not be an elementary school like it has been. Whiting was right in the middle of the first big experiment in Vermont school funding. And now, it is right in the middle of this new consolidation plan. Well, right now, it's um, pre-K to two. Suzanne walked us around the school. She told us they recently started sharing buildings and kids with another small town, Sudbury. Sudbury. So, um, we have 23 students here, and then we have 16 preschoolers. We share principal. <laughs> Last year, kids from Whiting went to Sudbury for third grade and up. And Sudbury kids in pre-K through second grade came to Whiting. The state said it was a lot more cost-effective. 
I can understand why. I mean, money and, and stuff. But, you know, as a townsperson, I do feel that we've lost something. You know, things that we've done as a community is kind of gone to the side now because we've merged with Sudbury, so we do a lot of things together. So now we're too big for our small community events that we've had. The community potluck dinner, the pancake breakfast, those are gone now because there's no building big enough to fit everyone from both schools. We do a musical. We're not doing that here this year. Even that sixth grade graduation ceremony that Amanda did and Carol did and Suzanne's kids did, Suzanne keeps flipping between the present and the past tense when she talks about it. The kids would write up things that they remembered, funny things that have happened during the, their life here. A lot of them started when they were three years old. So they've been here since, you know, eight years. Now, Whiting School doesn't have any sixth graders. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do this year because <laughs> they're not here. And Whiting School might change even more in the coming years. After our reporting trip, they actually ended up merging with a third school system, The building just offers pre-kindergarten now. And if class sizes keep shrinking, that might change again. The building might become an IT center or a community library. It's all unclear. It'll be different. It'll definitely be different. (laughs) And will you be working here still? I decided I'm going to stay because with the change of staff and people and there wouldn't be anybody in this building that would know the community or the school. I say, this is still my school, still my town, you know. The person we really wanted to hear from on all this was Carol Brigham. It just seems so sad. She had done all this work. She fought this big court fight, gotten all this backlash from people all across the state. She did it all to keep her school and schools across Vermont open and thriving. She did it to make things more equitable. Now, the school might be closing to make things more equitable. Of course, it's very sad. When my producers Jillian and Bird met her in person at Whiting School, she wasn't feeling well. She didn't really want to dwell on sadness. Carol did want to talk about equality, though. She says the old law... It equalized funding for each community's school. Then the communities could decide what was most important for their community. Equality meant equal access to money. And then districts got to choose how to spend it. This new consolidation stuff, this Act 46, it overhauls that definition. The way 46 got pushed in was equity uh, in everything. It's more about making sure students get access to the same resources even if that means a bunch of communities all lumped together in one bigger school. But when you're talking community, community is, well, we don't want what they've got over there. Our community, we find this much more important, whatever it is. Maybe that's having a close-knit town with sixth-grade graduations. So when you talk about equity, you have to understand who you're working with and what will make it more equal for them. You have to talk on their level and and then not make them like you. Make them who they need to be for where they want to live. And that's what gets lost in equity. Whiting is a tiny town. Only about 400 people live there. And that just might be too few to sustain a school. The economics of consolidation, they make a lot of sense. On the other hand, 
Whiting is a tiny town. The general store closed down recently. The school is the center of the community. It used to bring people together. And if it goes away, that might be a huge blow. It could make it a lot harder for a tiny community like Whiting to survive. Schools are always so much more than schools. They are bound up in all these emotions around childhood and community. So there might never be a funding law that comes as an easy fix. Vermont has spent decades searching for that policy. And so far, they still haven't found it. This episode was produced and co-reported by me, Bird Pinkerton. It was edited by Amy Drozdowska. Our senior producer, who also helped with reporting, was Jillian Weinberger. We were mixed and scored by Jared Paul, and our theme song is by Jukebox the Ghost. We had other music by Blue Dot Sessions, APM, Noam Hassenfeld, Poddington Bear, and Chris Sabrisky. Anna St. Marie stepped in to help record one of our most important conversations. So thank you, Anna. We also owe a lot to Daniel French, Ellen Gilbert, Paul Sillo, and Jean Collins. They took a lot of time out of their busy days to explain the history of Vermont education policy to us. And as always, thank you to Allison Rocky for her help. If you had thoughts about the episode or want to tell us about policies in Vermont or elsewhere that we should be covering, please email us your thoughts. We are at impact at vox.com. That's impact at vox.com. 